Today, let's talk about all that data at the edge. Where's it coming from? Where's it going? And how do we make sure that it's all available all the time? An industry under pressure. Innovation in its finest hour. This is the Oil & Gas Technology Podcast, where sharp minds reveal the brilliance and sheer determination turning great ideas into new realities. Hear about how it happens in real life with your host, Michael O'Sullivan. The views of the host are expressly his own and should not be construed as the views of Nutanix or any other corporation, consortium, governing body, or interplanetary federation. All right, everybody, we are here on the Oil & Gas Tech Podcast. If you're wondering who the strange voice is, this is Michael O'Sullivan. I'm the new host, but I'm not flying solo yet. Mark is still here, sitting here watching over my shoulder. right next to you, Michael. To make sure that I remember to do all the things I'm supposed to do. Fortunately, we got a really good guest today. I think he's going to pretty much carry the show by himself, and I won't have to to do much. Before we do that, first, we got to ask for reviews. How do you say it, Mark? Usually, please, 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 please. Yeah, please. If you want to support this show or any of our other 11 oil and gas podcasts as of today, just leave a review. It's the number one way to help your peers find the good shows and weed out the ones that aren't worth listening to. It's really important. Because we try important. to be the ones it's, worth it's, listening to. It's the only way that we get to know whether you like it or not or what's good or what's bad. So we want to hear the good reviews and the bad And the reviews, bad, yeah. You know, and, you know, Mark will get the bad ones. <laughs> yeah, but seriously, folks, if you see something you want us to improve on the show, just let us know. I'll take a one-star review if you give us a little input on it, but prefer the four- and five-star reviews. Yeah, always. Okay, Anything else? Can I go to the guest now? Yeah, let's go okay. to the guest. <laughs> so, so Corey Alamon, am I saying that right? Alamon? Alamon. Go ahead, Mark. Give Alamon. It a shot. With a French accent. Alamon. There you go. There you go. There you go. All right. Corey's with Stratus Technologies. I'm going to let you just do a little intro of what you do there. Particularly, though, I maybe comment a little bit on Stratus because it sounds like a new edgy tech company that just started up a few days ago. But really, Stratus has been around a really, really long time. So yep. maybe just for the fun of, of hearing that history, talk a little bit about that. And then what are you doing with the company now? Sure. So yeah, Stratus just celebrated their 40th anniversary earlier this year. Corey Alamo, I am the director of oil and gas inside of Stratus. What does that mean? Basically focused on the oil and gas industry as a whole from a technology perspective. And Stratus has been providing mission-critical compute infrastructure for over 40 years, cut their teeth in banking and finance, moved into transportation, pharma, food and beverage. And one of the last, I guess you would say, forays is into the industrial automation space and really focused now at figuring out how can we take this critical infrastructure, which everyone else needs and uses, and move it into the oil and gas space. Lord knows we need it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I have a whole... I have a whole story about that, but also you have kind of an interesting oil and gas. I mean, you've done like a lot of things, right? Besides this, right? Yeah, this sure. isn't your, yep. first, your first rodeo. No, I started in oil and gas in 93 uh, after leaving the Marine Corps as a communications technician, working in the Gulf of Mexico, communications networking from there into automation. I've been lucky enough to work in upstream, downstream, midstream, do a bunch of different things. Spent the last few years looking at analytical applications in the midstream space. And now I've moved from the application side into the platform that can handle those critical right. applications. You know, one of my favorite things about Corey's story, which, by the way, simplify, brother. One uh, of my favorite I was thinking things, that. I'm outguns here. Yeah. So, really <laughs> uh, one of my favorite things about his story is, Corey, tell a story about coming from down the bayou to going across the <laughs> pond. I love it. <laughs> yeah. So at first grade, my father was building infrastructure in the North Sea for the UK oil infrastructure. 
So we up and moved the family from Lockport, Louisiana to Yarm- Great Yarmouth, England. And I lived there for first and second grade. Yeah, what a cultural shift, right? <laughs> I mean, first thing, the food. Yeah. Second thing, the weather, yeah. right? But I tell you, the one thing is people in South Louisiana have this friendliness about them that's just hardwired to our DNA. And when you go to Europe, they love that, right? Yeah. They, they just bond with you instantly. So, you know, what a great way to, to get some education and exposure to the rest of the world at a young age. Yeah, it was, it was, it was really interesting. And like you say, going from the Baye Lafouche Cajun accent <laughs> into proper English was a bit of a culture shock, but we really enjoyed it. We had a great time there. Got to travel and see England, Scotland. So, yeah, it's always great to go back and look at the places that I've been, you know, 40, 50 years ago almost. Yeah, I wish we could <laughs> 45 travel Five years again. ago. I'm, I'm ready to get out of, of yeah. my house. Yeah, I know. I hear you. So, But this is a tech show. It is. It is. It is a tech so show. So we could talk some tech? So we are going to talk some tech. So I want to talk about, at the risk of people rolling their eyes and saying, not again, I want to talk about Edge and oil and gas. Not that it hasn't, it's, not, it's getting plenty of attention. There's plenty of people out there talking about it. There's not a whole lot of people succeeding or succeeding at the pace that I think that they would like to. So I know that's an area where you guys are, are very heavily involved. But let's start with, and this came up in our little chit chat before, like, like what, when you think about Edge, and not even necessarily you, Stratus, but like when you, Corey, think about Edge and you're out there working amongst the industry, like what are you thinking about in terms of edge, what is it? So that's the, the interesting thing about edge is, you know, edge is basically different things to different people, depending on what your area of operations is. You may define edge as your offshore platform, right? Any, anything where you're controlling data, running applications, and you are not part of a quote unquote data center can be defined as edge. You know, if you're out in West Te- Texas at a wellhead, then you're definitely at the edge, right? You're nowhere near a data center, but you still need compute infrastructure to be able to handle your critical applications. So edge, depending on what your area of operations is, that is what will define edge for that operations person. It's not necessarily, it can be generally defined as compute outside of the data center, but that means that's so broad and so general. I think to to really look at it from an oil and gas perspective, you're talking about pump stations, compressor stations, offshore production facility, a vessel inside the refinery. As you get away from the the, actual refinery, the office. Right, right. right. You know, as you get away from the control room and start moving to some of the process assets, that's their edge. So edge is basically defined differently for different people depending on their area of operations. Yeah, or if you've been locked up in your house for a few months, you might be like at the edge, <laughs> ready to go over the edge. Yeah, it's it's come up in some of the circles that I've been in where sometimes people, you're right, people think of like like what we call robo, remote office, branch office, right? Being, I think of edge not just being like away from the main headquarters, but it's the place where the actual real operations that are the the source of the business are happening. There's usually not a whole lot of people. There are some people out there, but there's operations happening and there's computers out there doing stuff, right? Even before all this digital transformation stuff, there were computers out there at the edge. Some, some, some limited capacity of computers doing things in the environment where the data is generated. That's the way I would look at the edge from the operations perspective. Where is the data generated and what can you do with it where it's been initiated? Right. That's an interesting, I never even thought about it that way, but you're absolutely right. So when I think of the edge, I think of where's there a gap in connectivity where there's computing going on. And I think of that as the edge, but you're absolutely sure, right. because you're an old telecom. Guy. Probably so. Yeah, yeah. Or just old guy, either way. <laughs> Man, what a different way to think about that. And, you know, in today's environment, this type of stuff drives efficiencies 
even during lockdown, right? And so it's real important, I think, to the industry to understand this. And I've seen a whole bunch of companies talk about this. Very few companies actually have boots on the ground, executable experience in doing this. And y'all are actually one of the companies that have that experience doing it. That's correct. I mean, we, we've got assets deployed on machines, doing process control, actually on the machine itself, processing data at the site where it's generated. You know, when we think about edge in various industries, one of the easiest examples is like in the food and beverage industry where they've got a, they're making a packaged processed food, right? Whether it be a frozen meal or a canned asset. If any data is lost during the process between start and finish, everything that's in the process has to be destroyed. So from a safety point of view, it makes from, total from, sense. Absolutely. Yeah. So you, when you think about no lost data, no data lost, always on, always available, it's critical. And I even think it's more so critical in the oil and gas space if you think about that, right? So when you're talking about capturing data from an asset to do predictive analytics, whether it be predictive maintenance or some efficiency algorithms, you can't have lost data because lost data is information that you don't know. It's a blind spot. and, And exactly what happened during that blind spot, we don't know. Instantaneous things can change the way that a motor is running the way that a pump is moving, instantaneous blips in the data could be something, you know, whether it be paraffin or water or whatever, will cause the data to change over a brief period of time. Timestamp data may or may not catch that. And if you're blind to that, you're not getting the true picture. So when you start investing money in predictive analytics, predictive maintenance, and you have blind spots, you're basically going to Lake Charles and Rolling the dice. Yeah, yeah. No so, hate mail from the people from Lake Charles. Yeah, we love y'all. We do. I go um, to Lake Charles. That's why I was at the top of my head. So, all right. So there's two things, two things in there that you said that I want to like kind of back up to. So the first one is actually a little ways back. There are computers out there. That's where the data is being generated. It's always where the data has been generated, right? Since like time immemorial. So the question is, if if we've always had computers out there and they've always been generating data, why is it such a new idea to try to go do all of these really smart things with that data now? Like nobody thought of that before? No, that's, that's it's a great observation. I mean, the idea of capturing this data and using this data to make smart decisions has been talked about for a long time. Well, what I were think, they using it for before? Well, well, a lot of timestamp control. The historical data went into a historian and stayed there. Uh, okay. Right? And it was siloed too. So, so people didn't right. have the ability to work with so, it. It was a struggle so to even your, your get your operations hand. folks maybe didn't have access to the historian data or understand how to go in and pull that data and make decisions based. And you're talking about still talking about timestamp data that's been collected for right. a number of years. But, you know, I was lucky enough to be involved in some of this research around timestamp data versus real time data. Mm-hmm. And Real time is where it's at. I mean, if you're not capturing the data in real time, any predictive, not any, but most predictive decision-making processes are going to have blind spots. And right. so it's your, your percentage of accuracy will be much greater if you're actually capturing data in real time and understand how each piece of data interacts with the other variables to reach certain conclusions. Because that's what you're trying to do. You're trying to look at the correlation between pieces of data and what do they mean in the overall performance and a lot of times to do that you have to work backwards right so we had a failure on day 20 well what happened up to day 20 
Right, right, right. So the data has always been out there, but in the past, it was just used by the people who were performing the operations to facilitate the operation itself. But it's not; it wasn't being then captured and looked at to get insight and intelligence from afterwards. I would say that's part of it. The other part of it is technology has advanced to a point now where we can stick compute. We can actually do that. I mean, we've got a lot smarter compute. So they were processing data at the edge before, but now you can put real hardcore processing at the edge and you can capture in real time relay this information communications assets really didn't lend itself to real time data that's why real time at the edge is actually probably the best way because you can just correlate events over the communications links so you know there's a lot of advancements that have taken place in the last few years between the compute power the networking infrastructure and just general knowledge overall about how these things work together in conjunction to lead us to the right answers. I think a part two also is cost. So big data analytics has been around since the seventies, but it was prohibitively expensive, right? Right, and now it's gotten just ridiculously cheap. Right. Just yeah. I mean, I told this story the other day. My office when I worked at Texaco Pipeline, at one time housed a computer. And when I got there in 1999, we made it my office. It had yeah. a computer in it. Yeah. So <laughs> I was yeah. right there with you. If I went to Cellular One, we had a mainframe and we had a terminal in the office that we shared. And here's the really cool part. I got two or three emails a month. That's it. Right? Yeah, I missed that. Yeah, I'm I'm certainly not old enough to remember any of this. <laughs> so I'm not we're not gonna even yeah. But that actually so you tied back to the second thing that I wanted to pull out, which is, you know, you gotta you said you gotta have all the data. You don't want to have blind spots. You don't want to be missing bits of data. You need to process it in real time. So that creates a whole other set of challenges, right? Because number one, you, it means you either have to have all the processing capabilities out there in these hard to reach places sure. to handle all the data in real time, or you have to be able to send it all somewhere fast enough that you can perform operations on it in, let's say, a a cloud environment that's super scalable, but very far away. Sure. So this is where we get to the trouble that I like to say, you know, what works well in the lab sometimes has trouble out in the wild. Right. Right. Sure. And so how are, how are people, like how are companies overcoming those obstacles? When you start deploying more computer assets at the edge, you start thinking, okay, what does the IT overhead look like now? What, is, what does right. my new organization have to be? I think that's one of the things that's unique to Stratus. Both product lines we have, our server environment as well as our edge environment, are engineered to be simple. And when I say simple, I'm talking about simple to maintain, simple to install, simple, simple to bring online. The reason that's done in such a manner is to keep it lightweight for the folks who have to do the installation and commissioning, right? You know, we're talking about hours for uptime to bring things online. When it comes to replacement, we call it a plug and play environment. That was really something that's been engineered into, the, into our servers. We don't need an IT person to replace a server that's down. Anyone who can, you know, distinguish between the red light and the green light and unplug the right wires, 
can replace one of our servers and it will go right back to doing what its primary mission was because the remaining part of the infrastructure will tell the new part of the infrastructure what its goal in life is. So the guy who's doing the, the replacement never has to open a laptop, never has to look at a screen, doesn't have to do anything. That is so cool. So basically, it's almost built-in redundancy, built-in business continuity where Absolutely. the hardware can fail, but the rest of the architecture knows what the hardware is supposed to do. Absolutely. And you introduce that new hardware and it sets everything up. So our, our product lines are designed to be run in a redundant environment because, like I say, mission critical is, is what we do. That, I mean, that's your, that's your that, heritage, that's, that's right? Is, that's Mi the mission critical and high availability, high redundancy. You know, we, we provide seamless bumpless coverage for data assets. When I say seamless bumpless, if you have a hard drive failure, it should be seamless to the operator. They'll never see it. And that's the way our products are designed and engineered. And we do that. That's in kind of a unique way with our product lines and you know, the ability to do that, that's why when we have engineered to be simple and in a redundant environment, and we created this plug and play infrastructure where the Stratus OS will now tell the platform what its mission in life is when it finds the new asset, because it knows what its original mission in life was. And, and that to me, when I found out the way that works and think about pump stations and platforms in the Gulf of Mexico and, and vessels running around the world doing different things and providing mission critical data on their own assets, I started thinking the application for this type of, you know, compute infrastructure is really endless because you, you think about places that are down, you know, personal experience a downtime event due to an air condition going down at a pump station because once the temperature exceeds what the server can handle the computer shuts down the site shuts down right well we've got computer assets that'll go from you know minus 40 to plus 60 c wow so you know that's that's never going to be an issue again Right. So, Corey, I think the light, light bulb went off in my head when I hear you explain it. So, two things pop in my head. So, first thing is, this has to be less expensive than having to carry all that IT overhead, all the IT infrastructure overhead and people and man hours. But the other thing is, from a cybersecurity point of view, y'all stuff has to be, in its very nature, locked down. Because if everything, if the system, if the architecture knows what everything's supposed to be, it knows when something's not supposed to be there. Yeah. Absolutely. So it's, you know, security is in, not only do we engineer it to be simple, but the second part of that is protected. And when we say protected, we think of both cybersecurity as well as redundancy. So from a cybersecure perspective, you know, we do some really unique things when it comes to firewall protection and things like that, whitelisting, blacklisting. We also incorporate the safe boot. So, you know, there's no malicious content that can get in there if the machine has to get reset it will not let something new creep in. It knows what's safe and what's not safe. So there, there's, there's some really unique things that we do in that environment from a cybersecurity perspective. And we're always looking at how do we do more? Because we realize that, you know, if we're going to put these mission-critical computers in this capacity, in these spaces, we have to be, you know, ultimately very secure. All of that sounds fantastic. And... Actually, there's a whole bunch of things in there that are really would be really interesting to talk about. But one of the things, that, and we've said this ever since, you know, you guys are old enough to remember the early IT days. We always said, you in know, audience, Michael's not much younger than we are. Yeah. He's, he's full of. Full yeah. of <laughs> I don't think I'm at all younger than you. So we always, you know, this, there was always this saying, you know, it's not the technology that's the problem; it's the people, right? So I don't have a podcast about how people are the problem, but the point is. You can't, 
like going out there and doing all those things, all those really cool things that you just said. So I actually I want to I want to pause on two things. One would be if we could get a, some examples, right? Because I know when people are listening to you and you're you're kind of describing things in the abstract, like so if I'm out there doing my job, like how would my world change? What kind of uh, scenarios are, are are improving? The other thing is you go out there and and now you're talking about you know clashing of different cultures. Sure, the IT guys said it was secure, but do the OT guys really believe that? Am I going to let you put that on my pipeline or in my refinery, right? Like, so you have all of those cultural things, and then you have also just kind of like the general skepticism, right? So, so like when you when you hear people, or like when you were when you were talking about, you know, it's super simple, anybody could do it, like, like, like there's a there's a seasoned IT guy sitting over there in the corner rolling his eyes going, yeah, right. Everybody says that, you know, sure. I've heard that one before. Right. So how does this like how does all this technology goodness what, what happens when it like comes into the real world and you get and you're trying to do real things with real people and make make changes in the way people work? That's a that's just a really small, narrow focused question for you. To <laughs> sure, sure. No, no, it, it's. I would say we're trying to bring applications, platforms to places where they don't exist today. And how does that, how do people deal with that? It, it, it varies, right? I think we do things differently from a compute perspective. When I talked about simple and protected, the last thing I like to talk about is autonomous because what you'll find in our platform, that's what we, we, we leverage those three ideas, simple, protected, and autonomous. So there are things that our platform does autonomously that computers don't normally do. So when we deal with, I would say what we run into is we open up the idea channel for folks when we start talking about what can we do and how can we do it. Because we're not talking about putting computers in places maybe that computers are today. We're talking about putting servers where they might have a little bit of compute power today. And we're talking about bringing data centers. So we're talking about virtualization at the edge in a cabinet in the middle of West Texas. We're talking, this stuff doesn't exist in a lot of places today. And we have that capability inherent to our platform. So when we deal with, you know, a lot of questions I get from folks, you know, are we have to start talking about what's the possibilities? What can we do with this, this infrastructure? Uh, because we go from just a single application capability where you might be running an HMI at your pump station into what do you want to run at your pump station? You know, let's incorporate the HMI, the SCADA, the historian. We can bring it all to that level and then some. We can run your predictive, your asset performance maintenance. We can bring it all into that environment and run it all locally if that's what you desire. Because so when we start having these conversations, you really need to think about what is it, where are you trying to get to at the end of the day? What applications have you heard the buzzwords about and started thinking, oh, well, how am I going to do that? Well, I think that's where we can come in and help you with some of those questions because the opportunity is there. The applications are developed. And now with the Stratus platform, you don't have to look at, you know, how am I going to add X number of IT people to handle all these compute resources that I'm adding all over right. West Texas or the Gulf of Mexico or West Africa or wherever it might be, right? Right. So that gets to another question, which is, Okay, now that you know you're making it possible to do all these things. So you said, you know, think about what do you want to do. How can we enable all these different scenarios? But we also have this reality in the industry right now, where I mean, the industry is under pressure, and everybody's got constrained budgets. 
they are spending on digital, right? Because they couldn't they couldn't stop because they tried all the mechanical tricks that they could after 2014, 15 downturn. They they used all they pulled all those levers to streamline to the extent that they could, sure. and they got to where they could survive. Investors still weren't happy, right? So then it's like, okay, well, we better look at this digital stuff because. The other, you know, the other stuff got us only so far. So the industry starts getting, you know, serious about digital. Then comes this next downturn, which is constraining all the budgets. But they can't stop because they need digital to transform the business. So it comes to the question of how do you prioritize? What do you focus on first? A lot of people right now are saying, I can only do something if it has a really fast ROI. Mm -hmm. And I mean, like sure. in five minutes. Yeah. And, and do, you, do you work with people to help them kind of look at their whole portfolio and say, you need to focus here, here, and here? Absolutely. I mean, that's part of what I like to do is sit down and have the conversation, right? What, what is it you're going after? What's the low-hanging fruit? How can we help you get there? You know, we try to be flexible in the way that we present our, our product and our portfolio to work with these guys to figure out what's best and how do you go about it. I mean, it just depends on what it is they're trying to get first. You know, I think predictive maintenance has been kind of a, a big idea for a lot of folks that are trying to go after those maintenance dollars. Reduce downtime. I mean, you're talking about the payback is that is one event, you know? Right. So right. In, in the right instance, it's, it's, a, it's a very short order. Do, do, you, do you find that people, <laughs> right, <laughs> just right, when it happens, do you find that people already have a pretty good idea what they want to do and they're just trying to figure out how, or do you find people who are sort of like throwing their hands up in the air and saying, I don't know where to start? I don't think a lot of people are throwing their hands up. I think a lot of people have decided this is what we're going to do. Okay. And I think we know how we're going to do it. And I guess what I would say is, what else are you going to do next? Right. Because I think that's really where Stratus can do more than just, yeah, we're going to deploy predictive maintenance. Okay, great. Well, now you've got one PC running predictive maintenance. And if it can handle predictive maintenance and handle all the real-time decision, then great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's one application on one machine in one cabinet. How are you going to scale that now? To well, right? Yeah. What, asset performance maintenance. Do you need a local HMI? Do you need to add a SCADA? I mean- so when you start bringing virtualization to that environment, now you can do a whole lot more with that one asset, right? Right, and, right. And I think that's where if the conversation and you start thinking about in, in, yeah, we're doing this now or we got an idea we want to do this now, but is that the right thing and what's the plan for next? And what else can we add to that equation that will put us, you know, I'd like to say the investment in that, in that edge platform don't think about what it is you're doing at this instance. What can you do with it and what's possible? So if the investment is being made now just to run one application, but right. you know in the future you're going to want to scale this, that, and the other thing, then wouldn't it be a better investment to do something that's going to be capable of doing more? Right. And not have to forklift it in the future. That's a big one. Absolutely. Uh, right. Yeah. And then you're told, yeah. And then it justifies your. You have a much better justification for the whole thing in the first place, right? Because you can look out and say, this is what I see a lot is people are, they have kind of, well, they're being asked to do things for the future, but they're being asked to justify it in today's dollars. Yeah. And that's a constant like tension. And then on top of that, you have this, what I call like decision risk, which is like, there's so many different ways to go. I mean, everything you just said, there's, a, there's different ways to do it, sure, right? Absolutely. So the question is, what do I do? If I, What happens if I make the wrong? I mean, IT people in the oil and gas industry, historically, 
are used to making three and five year decisions or even longer, right? Sure. And now, you know, you have to make a decision about what to do right now. And what happens if we do it with Stratus today and and the next thing you know, AWS has the same thing, right? Because everybody's like working. Or what happens if I, I, I make a decision to do it over here, uh, like I'm, I'm doing this with Microsoft and because I think they're gonna be compatible with this other thing, that I, and that, but no, they're not gonna be compatible and now I'm gonna have to move and I just put all this stuff in the cloud and now I gotta bring it back and right? And like, do you have any like words of like encouragement and comfort for people who are like all this hand wringing about, I don't know which direction to go with all this whole landscape. Wow, that's a tough one. Yeah, it so is. Look into my crystal ball. And <laughs> but we're almost, we're almost out of time. So figure if you, out, figure if, out you, what's if the best we delay enough, yeah. then you don't have to answer it. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to say that, you know, from a Stratus perspective, we've been in the business of providing critical infrastructure for 40 years. Right. We're not going anywhere. We know what we do and we do a really good job at it. You know, when it comes to reliability, I think our service is top notch. You can actually go on our website and, and find our performance tracker for reliability for our 25,000 managed services that we provide across the globe. Wow. So, wow. When, when Shout it, out to y'all for putting it on your own website, wow. right? So many companies would hide that somewhere. That's fantastic. Yeah, no, yeah. We, we, we pride ourselves in being able to provide between six and seven, nine reliability in our compute platforms. Whoa. So, wow. so that's what we do. And that's the game that we're in. So when I would say, wow, are you safe putting your infrastructure? Intense, yeah. yeah, that's, yeah, that's, that's how that's, I would answer that question. Yeah. If you think, if I, don't, I wouldn't think you're making a, a bad choice by putting it on a platform that has the service history and the customer service that a company like Stratus provides. Right. You know what, Michael? It's a good place to end it. it because is. that was That was powerful. That was, great, that was really good. Up, yeah. We need to wind down the show. I could sit here and talk to Corey literally all day. Could we could? Maybe, well, we might have to do a part two at well, some point. Not only will we do a part two, but Man, Stratus is actually sponsoring our live streams. Oh, so, so fantastic. We're, they're, they're they're now part of the family. So all we're right. going to be spend a lot of time with Get Corey ready. and his crew. Yeah. Get ready! <laughs> awesome, excellent. So, what am I supposed to do at the end here? I'm supposed to. Oh, I got to. Many thanks to Corey for being on the show. I, I'm going to practice saying your your last name. I'll say it better next time. We also have a new sponsor. We do have a new sponsor. Uh, brand new sponsor, Cognite. So, Michael, people are, are probably wondering, it's like, weren't you the voice of Nutanix? I was the voice of Nutanix. I'm still the voice of still Nutanix. Still the voice of Nutanix. I'm still the voice. In fact, it's a little bit ironic because Corey and I could have a whole other set of conversations about Nutanix and Stratus, but Absolutely. <laughs> I am, yeah, and I'm still with I'm still with Nutanix, and we still love Nutanix. And Nutanix just, was the previous sponsor yep. of the show, and now it's Cognite. And in the meantime, somehow Mark asked me if I wanted to do this, and I like accidentally like moved my head in the wrong direction. <laughs> now he's and the stuck. Next, and the next thing I know, like I, you know, here here we are. So yeah, so Cognite, we'll have more information on Cognite. We're actually just getting them on board. Yep. So we'll have more info on them and the product reviews, right? We're still, I'm going to still, still, still do product reviews. So, so Michael got excited when we found out people send us stuff to review yeah. and we keep it. So if you're listening, <laughs> nothing big, no heavy iron, gadgety stuff, right? Send it in. If we love it, we'll tell you we love it. We'll tell you why. And if we don't love it, we'll tell you where it needs to be improved. And we'll put a link in the show notes so people can buy your stuff, whether we like it or not. Right, right. So, yeah, so send it in. Michael will be the one doing the product reviews from now yeah. on. And then what's the deal with the street team, Michael? The street team. The street team is... <laughs> I'm intentionally putting him on the spot, folks, because he's new. Warren. Warren's doing the street team. And what I hear is that he's doing it better than you did. By far. So, yep. It's like so, I expect you to do better than I did on this okay. show. So we got... Um, the other thing I forgot to mention, if anybody wants to know more about Stratus, 
you do know what the website is. Stratus.com. Stratus.com. And if they want to find out more about you, then your uh, Corey link, Alamo on LinkedIn. Yeah, uh, on LinkedIn, and, um, and we'll put links to all that in the show notes. We'll put folks. all that in the show notes. So you either scroll and, up or left depending if you're right. on iOS. Was there or something Android. else about the street team that I was supposed to say? I uh, just go join the group. It's, join we've it. moved it over yeah. to uh, LinkedIn. So if you look for OGG and Street Team, you now join it on LinkedIn. And like uh, Michael said, Warren's doing a much better job than I was. Y'all get f- swag. You get to join us at our press conferences whenever yeah. life gets back to normal. We ask you for an hours worth of work a week, and if you can't have time to do it, it's okay. Life it's gets fantastic. in the way. And then we're going to have a new giveaway. We can't do the Nutanix giveaway, but we're going to no. do something cool with Cognite. We just have to get there. So give us a week or two to get caught up on that. And then while you're online, sign up for the street team. Go ahead and go to the website, oilandgastechpodcast.com. Give us your email address. We promise not to spam you. That's how we let you know the cool stuff we're doing. And since you're online anyway, go to join the LinkedIn group besides the street team. Our marketing gurus have gotten that up to almost 50,000 people. It no was kidding. like seven when I ran it, right? It's wow. crazy. Seven people? Seven people, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Thank goodness for, for Alex and Tim, our marketing crew. All right, Michael, it's time to get out of here. It is. And what's that cool little line you have at the end? We are making sure that you don't get left behind one episode at a time. And here are the events are on the deck. Events. Yeah. Hey, everybody. It's Savannah from OGGN, and here are the events on deck for October 2020. The first five events I'm going to list off are all online, so to start off the month, we've got the Women Offshore Conference, which is an online interactive event on October 2nd and October 9th. Second, we've got SparkCon, which stars our very own Mark LaCour as keynote speaker, and that one starts on October 5th and goes through the 9th. Third, we have the OilCom Conference and Exposition from October 13th through the 15th. Fourth, we have the Ignite Talks with Cognite from October 27th through the 29th. And to close off the online events, we have the SPE Annual Technical Conference and Exhibition, or ATCE, on the same dates as the Ignite Talks, which is October 27th through the 29th. Next, these two events for October are in person. First, we have the Energy API Golf Tournament on October 12th at the Kingwood Country Club. And next, we have the Energy API 30th Annual Sporting Clays Tournament on October 30th at the American Shooting Center. Lastly, and most importantly, we have our OGGN live streams. This month, we have three going out, so make sure to tune into those. First, we have maintaining critical infrastructure during lockdown on October 1st. Next, we have material reductions in downtime that flow to the bottom line on October 15th. And last, we have strategic opportunities to right-sizing GNA and achieving free cash flow on October 29th. Now, these dates for the live stream shouldn't be changing, but they may, so make sure to keep up to date on these events by checking out the OGG on Facebook, LinkedIn, or website for more info. That should be all for October, so I hope you guys have a great month, and thank you for tuning in. Check us out next week for another entertaining and yet useful episode of Oil & Gas Tech Podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.